Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to uh, worship. I want you to know that tomorrow night, July the 27th, the Woodmont Board will meet and will continue to talk about where uh, our church is as it relates to COVID-19 uh, with our services and uh, with what we are offering. And we will keep you updated as to how that uh, discussion goes. And if anything uh, is decided, uh, just pay attention to the newsletter and we'll keep you in the loop. Join me for a word of prayer this morning. Loving God, open our hearts and minds so that we can hear a word from you and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin this morning by lifting up somebody who is very near and dear to this congregation, and that is my friend Tolu Quinn. Um, Tolu grew up here at Woodmont, as many of you know. Uh, she went to Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Uh, she lived in Nicaragua for a while, working for the Week of Compassion. Uh, she came back to Nashville, where she served on our ministerial staff, and she also uh, became the director of what we now know as the Nashville Food Project. And then later she became the full-time director, uh, and under her vision, the Food Project was born here at our church up at South Hall, and it has grown and grown, and now it is in the nations and it is thriving. But this past week, uh, Tolu was diagnosed with uh, a brain tumor. And um, this is all still very new uh, to many people, but I wanna ask that you lift her up in your prayers along with Robbie and their children, Lula and Thomas, that you pray for the doctors at Vanderbilt that she's working with. And, um, and I just wanna begin this morning uh, by lifting her up. Um, it's simply uh, just amazing how many people Tolu has inspired through her ministry, through her passion for feeding the hungry, serving the poor, and being a leader uh, in this community. Um, and so I wanna pray for Tolu and I wanna lift her up as we begin the message this morning. We're in a summer series that's called Simply Jesus, where we are looking at some of the core teachings of Jesus so that we can get to know him better. And I keep lifting up the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. And so we're looking at different passages in Luke's gospel so that we can understand Jesus's teachings, who he was, uh, what he means to us, what he calls us to be and do as his followers, as his disciples. And last week we looked at that famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And today we move ahead a few chapters to Luke chapter 12, where Jesus gives us the parable of the rich fool. And this is what happens. Apparently a, a family is having some type of a quarrel over family inheritance. And so there's a guy that asked Jesus to get involved in, in this, and Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach a lesson, a very important lesson. He says this, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. A rich man had a land that produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? Because I have no place to store all these crops. 
And so he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones where he could store all of the grain and goods. And he said to himself, soul, I now have ample grains laid up for many years to come. I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This, my friends, is why Christianity is counter-cultural. This is where Jesus challenges every single one of us and he makes us uncomfortable. On Tuesday, just two days from now, I'm gonna turn 40. The search committee that brought me here to Woodmont uh, 13 years ago probably never thought they'd see that day. They just wanted me to turn 30. But this week I will have a birthday and, and I've been giving a lot of thought to the two different halves of life. The truth is, not a single one of us knows how long we will get to live on this earth. We don't know when we will reach our midway point. Like James says, what is your life? The length of your life is as uncertain as the morning mist. Now you see it, but soon it is gone. Life is fragile, it's unpredictable, it's not fair, but we must live every single day that we have to the fullest. And we must remember that we're only given one day at a time. Last year, David Brooks published a, a book called The Second Mountain, and that book caused me to, to stop and, and to reflect. He writes, if the first mountain is about building up the ego and defining the self, the second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. If the first mountain is about acquisition, the second mountain is about contribution. If the first mountain is elitist, moving up, the second mountain is egalitarian, planting yourself amid those who need and walking arm in arm with them. You know, many different books over the years have been written uh, about the two different halves of life. I think about Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, and then this is another book that Brooks put out last year called The Second Mountain. Middle-aged crises are, are real, and, and they happen all the time. Sports cars, affairs, addictions, boredom, you name it. Life certainly has its fair share of disappointments and dreams that, that go unrealized. In the first half of life, we are highly focused on establishing ourselves, building the container, so to speak. Education, career, family, reputation, status, recognition. On the first mountain, we believe that success is very, very important. But what is success? How do we define it? How do we understand it? 
On the second mountain, we learn to value much more meaningful things. Faith, relationships, spiritual growth, emotional intelligence, community, service, and lasting commitments. It's not that these things don't matter in the first mountain, but they really matter when it comes to the second mountain. I do believe that wisdom comes with age. It's not that the first mountain is unimportant. It's very important, and we all go through it. We all live it. But if it's all we ever live for, we will become disappointed, restless, and disillusioned. I'll have a smaller birthday party this year, thanks to COVID-19. But more than anything else, I value the relationships in my life. And I want to keep investing in them. I don't want to take them for granted. I also recognize certain truths. Character matters greatly. We are not what we do for a living, although I think the wisest people are able to marry their passion and their vocation with their profession. Faith is not a matter of things working out exactly as we planned, exactly as we thought that they would. We know that that isn't the way life works, but faith is a matter of living each day with hope and resilience in the face of uncertainty and questions and pain. I think Jesus is still saying to us, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Sometimes we have to stop and ask the question, what is life all about? What good is it to work and work and stress and stress and then have a heart attack at 55? What was it about this guy's request regarding his family that caused Jesus to, to teach this lesson, to give this parable? Was it simply that he was rich and wanted his fair share of the inheritance? I don't think so. I think it was his mindset, his attitude. He seemed to be worked up over the family inheritance and he was convinced that life was only about getting more, and building bigger barns. And guess what? In the absence of substance and meaning, in the absence of friendships and healthy relationships, the default is to simply build bigger barns. I don't know anybody who would say that they want to make less money in their job. I don't know anybody who would say that they want to be less successful in their career, everybody keeps working hard to progress and in this uh, pandemic, uh, there's high unemployment and many people have lost their jobs and their jobs have been cut back. But we all need to be reminded that this is not what life is all about. It's what our culture says life is all about. Build bigger barns, make more money, get more stuff, show it off to everybody. One of my advisors at Swanee, a guy by the name of uh, Bill Brissend, he's a New Testament scholar. Uh, he teaches New Testament and he also teaches preaching. He talks about this parable in, in one of his books and he says, 
What makes the man foolish is not what he did and said, but the attitude that was at the root of his decision-making process. He decided as one who only lived for himself and thought that he would live indefinitely. It's not that rich people will die and poor people will not. It's just that rich people, he says, sometimes have a way of living or thinking that they will live forever and they will never die, but they will. And if they wait until then to discover that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, it will be too late in all kinds of ways. Duke scholar Richard Lisher says this about Jesus's mindset regarding the rich fool. He says, there is no mystery here. This is precisely the sort of person that you should not become and exactly the foolish behavior that you should avoid at all costs. You know, there's a lot of uh, stereotyping that goes on in our culture. Rich people are jerks who don't care about the poor. Poor people are lazy. They're just out to game and work the system. These are not fair accusations. Politics has mastered the art of contempt and pitting people against each other every which way. But Jesus is simply trying to remind us of what life is really all about. What is it all about? I don't have all the answers, but I have some thoughts. I think it's about love. I think it's about family. I think it's about relationships and, and being a friend. It's about helping people who are struggling and who are in need. And there's all kinds of needs in this world, in every community, at every socioeconomic level. It's about honesty and character. It's about learning the importance of moderation and balance. It's about not living in fear all the time, worrying about everything under the sun. And there's a lot of worry right now. I find it fascinating that as we continue on in Luke's gospel, right after the parable of the rich fool, what do we find? We find Jesus's words on worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Is worry the opposite of faith? If we spend our lives worrying about everything? Have we really lived? Or have we missed it? Has life passed us by? That's something to ponder. You can take away your quality of life if you spend all of your time worrying and being fearful and afraid. Jesus asked the question, can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? And we can't. There are things that we don't understand. There are things in this life that don't make sense. There are things that happen to us and to our loved ones that we simply don't understand. Things that make us angry. 
But if there is a message that permeates the Bible from beginning to end, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's don't worry. Trust in God. Have faith. Live in the present. Love the people that you're with because you just simply don't know how many days you will have. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We know that life is full of twists and turns, frustrations and disappointments and unexpected things that happen to us and to our loved ones. And so we have to live every day. That's what Jesus teaches us. Live every day and be in the present. My senior year of college, I took a trip in the fall with my dad. We went to look at divinity schools and seminaries up on the East Coast. And um, we also went to New York City, uh, which was not too long after 9-11, an experience I'll never forget. But one of our visits was, um, was at Harvard Divinity School. And we had a meeting in Ralph Waldo Emerson's old office, which was pretty neat because uh, that's, a, that's a historic place that's been around a long time. But do you remember when he was asked about success, do you remember the answer that Ralph Waldo Emerson gave? I'll close with this. What is success? He said to laugh often and much to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even that one life has breathed easier because you have lived. That is to have succeeded. Amen.